me in your Bibles, please, to the book of Acts, chapter 8. Book of Acts, chapter 8. <clears throat> Working with the gypsy people, especially of Eastern Europe, we went there after the fall of communism. And as I mentioned earlier, we were there 12 years. We had churches in Hungary, lived in Hungary, but would cross the border into Romania, where many of our churches were established. And right away, we saw what communism had not just done to the gypsy people, but done to the people of Eastern Europe and uh, just strips a person of their identity and who they are. You're not allowed to be of anyone uh, of any significance or even what you desire or have ambitions to become. And I met a very, uh, a very great group of unhappy people, and especially the gypsy people of Eastern Europe. They're on the lowest of the totem pole. Uh, poverty is... Uh, just overwhelming. There are two things that break my heart, the thought of a man dying without Christ or a person dying without Christ, but a child going to bed hungry. That really bothers me. And that's why we have established feeding centers amongst the Roma people there in our churches. We have uh, three feeding centers. We feed about 300 very hungry uh, gypsy children, one meal a day, five days a week. You say, Brother Stevens, why don't you do it seven days a week? Well, you do the math. It's a lot of meals. And the Brother Evans' late wife passed away six years ago. And one of our feeding centers is uh, in her memory. We call it Sally's Kitchen. And uh, you may say, well, Brother Stevens, are you there preaching a social gospel? Is it about taking care of the physical needs of people? No, of course not. But I heard a Haitian missionary say one time, it's very difficult to preach the gospel uh, to growling stomachs. They're not thinking about the things of the spirit. They're thinking of the things of the flesh. And in John chapter 6, Jesus did feed them. And then he said, uh, labor not for the meat that perishes. So we give them uh, physical food, but then we also give them spiritual food. And we're seeing these young children coming to Christ. And we're seeing their families come to Christ. And our churches are full. Uh, there's standing room only in most of our churches, especially in Eastern Europe. And we just give God all the glory for that. But joy was absent. Uh, there was just a, a sadness on their entire expression, whatever they were doing, whatever they were saying. There was no laughter. Very unhappy people. Uh, the gypsy language is a limited vocabulary language. It's not updated. It's lacking in spiritual terms especially. And that's why I have to borrow words of the host nation, the indigenous nation, when I preach to them. But there are two words that are missing from the gypsy language. It just breaks my heart. And one of those words is hope. We have no word for hope. So what do you call a people who don't have a word for hope? Hopeless. The second word that is missing is the word future. No hope, no future. We have no word for future. We're, we're people of the day. We're people of whatever's going on at that moment. No planning, no, no, no direction in their life. But in the person of Jesus Christ, we have given our people hope and we've given them future. And the message that I'm preaching tonight is about what Jesus does to a group of people when the gospel is presented. And I want you to begin reading with me at verse 5 and we're going to read down to verse 8. And we'll get the theme of the message, title of the message in the 8th verse. But read with me, I'll read a lot as you follow in silence in verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, 
and that were lame were healed. Now watch the eighth verse here. And there was great joy in that city. The message is about great joy into the cities of the world. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to bless. Father, I am thy servant. I know the call that you've placed upon my life. I know what my life is about. When hope came into my life and future came into my life as a lost gypsy man, you saved, you changed, and you called. And Father, my desire tonight is to make that call effectual. I stand here in dependence upon you, the blessed Holy Spirit, and the promise of your word never to return void. And so, Father, I've come here, number one, to glorify you, but to be a blessing to your people. Help me to be a blessing to the pastor and his wife and family. Help me to be a blessing to Brother Evans. Help me to be a blessing, Father, to this, the bride of your son, the Lord Jesus. But, Father, most important of all, help me to be a blessing to the heart of my Savior. For it's in his name we do pray with thanksgiving. And all God's people said, Amen. Great joy into the cities of the world. How does it happen? How did great joy come to the people of Samaria? And to me, there is a lot of similarities with the Samaritan people and the gypsy people of the world. If you know anything about the Samaritans, you know that the Samaritans were the half-breeds of the Jewish people. They were the ones that the Jews looked down upon. Matter of fact, John chapter 4 says that the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. But if you know your Bible, you know that Jesus, in John chapter 4, verse 9, it says he must needs go through Samaria. If you know anything about the geography at the time of Christ, from where he was to where he was going, he did not necessarily have to pass through Samaria, except for the fact there was going to be a woman at the well who needed to hear the gospel. And so I see a lot of similarities with the Samaritan people and my own people, the gypsy people. But as we look at this passage of Scripture, I see that God has put here a process, a pathway, a prescription, if you will, of how to get great joy into the hearts and lives of the peoples of the world. Verse 8 says, and there was great joy in that city. And, and uh, many times as we study Scripture, uh, the Bible will really preach itself. It just needs a voice. And that's what we're finding here tonight it's a natural outline. Do you know that we have uh, not coined the phrase the good Roman, nor have we coined the phrase the good Jew, but we have coined the phrase the good Samaritan, have we not? And as you study scripture, you'll see that the Samaritan people uh, many times were open to the gospel. Their lives were dramatically changed, and they became testimonies of the goodness and the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ. But how does great joy come to the cities of the world? How did it come to Samaria when we think of our many ministries amongst the gypsy people in Kissimmee, Florida, and Cleveland, Ohio, and uh, in Brother Evans' ministry, Romania, Hungary. We are now working in the Ukraine with the gypsy people. We've been taking, we made 30 uh, humanitarian aid trips from northern Hungary, northern Romania, taking food, the tons of food, tons of clothing, and basic necessities, but it comes with a gospel track and a gospel presentation. I don't know if you know this or not, but a track goes a lot further when it's attached to a loaf of bread. Hello. 
And uh, we work with the gypsies of Pakistan. That's where gypsies came from, India and Pakistan. Every Friday morning, I meet with the gypsies of Pakistan via the internet. We were able to raise $48,000 and purchase their own building. We're working with the national. They're hungry for the things of God's word. We work with the gypsies of India. My executive director, Dr. Tim Clark, meets with uh, a gypsy group in India every Friday morning as well. But how do we get great joy into the hearts and lives of the gypsies of the world? How do we get great joy in the hearts and lives of those in your community and those that you live next door to where you buy your groceries, where you pump your gas? How do we get great joy? And in our materialistic culture in which we live today, words like joy and happiness have become perverted. That many people think that their joy and happiness will come by a, by a financial portfolio or by a promotion in a job or the house they live in or the car they drive or their education or the person they marry. When the truth of the matter, joy comes not from the outside in, joy comes from the inside out. The Apostle Paul said godliness with contentment is great gain and he said in whatever state he was in, he was content. Now, as we follow these passages of Scripture, I want you to realize that our goal is to get the verse 8, but how do we get there? And I want you to begin with me at the fifth verse, and I want you to see the com first component, the first ingredient, if you will, in the formula of how to get to verse 8. Verse 5 says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria. Number one, there needs to be a preacher sent from God. There needs to be a preacher who brings the message of great joy. It is the message of the gospel. In our story, Philip was that preacher sent from God. Who was the preacher that God used in your own personal life? We were the preachers in 1995 when Brother Evans and I went to Tinker, Romania. We were past, I was pastoring the gypsy work in Cleveland, Ohio. Brother Evans was helping with the music and in training to be a preacher of the gospel. And we had, I got a telephone call from a Romanian national who was in Akron, Ohio, pastoring a Romanian work. And he called me one day and he says, I was raised with your people in Romania. He says, I left communist Romania to come to the United States to have the liberty to preach the gospel. But he also told me that he made a promise to God that should communism ever fall, that he would go back to his area of Romania and establish churches amongst the Roma people. He invited us to his home, Brother Evans and our late wives went there, and he showed us a homemade video of the Roma of Tinka, Romania. And of course, the living conditions of not just the Roma people in former communist countries of Eastern Europe, but everyone who lived there, all that stuff was kept secret. We didn't know in the West what was going on. And we, of course, didn't know how the gypsies were living and so when we saw that homemade video, our hearts were pierced, and Brother Evans and I knew that we had to go firsthand and see the situation there in Romania. At that time, there were direct flights out of Cleveland, Ohio, to Budapest, Hungary, because Cleveland, Ohio has a large population of Hungarians. And so Brother Evans and I went there, and um, we... Uh, uh, we landed in Budapest and we took public transportation to Tinka, Romania. And uh, we stayed in an old broken down boarding house. There wasn't any screens in the windows. It was summertime, so we had a lot of visitors. If there was water, it was cold. There wasn't any restaurants in this small rural town. And, but my sister had sent with me two, three pound Hickory Farms beef sticks. You know the ones you get at Christmas time? And I took with me a case of Raymond chicken noodle soup. The ones that are 100 for a dollar, not really. 
but they were light and easy to transport. I took a collapsible Coleman stove. I didn't know you couldn't take sterno in an airplane, and I did. And that's what we ate every day, Brother Evans and I. We had beef stick and Raymond noodle soup. Soup. We get some of the fresh homegrown tomatoes, greatest tomatoes I've ever eaten in the world, and some of the fresh baked bread from the bakeries. But we didn't care about living conditions. We didn't have a car. Uh, but we, uh, we grabbed our backpacks, and every day we would walk off to the villages and towns around us. Now, there's no such thing as a gypsy village, and there's no such thing as a gypsy town. Every village and town has a parcel of land that was given to the gypsy people by the communist government, and always on the outskirts of town near the railroad tracks or the dumps. And so when we go to the small villages, it was easy to find that parcel of land. But when we came to the gypsies that we saw in the video, the gypsies of Tinka, Romania, it was a town of 2,500 people. So we didn't know where that part of town was. I spoke no Romanian, so I couldn't ask a national. But as we entered a town, there was a small gypsy boy, about six years old, and he was gazing into a storefront window. He was absolutely filthy from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. I know because I saw the soles of his feet. And I said to him in the gypsy language, Roma, or where are the gypsies? He didn't know we were preachers. He didn't know that we were Baptists or anything like that. But he took us by the hand and he led Brother Evans and I clear across town to a small one-room house. We never would have found this parcel of land without his help. That's the sovereign father intervening. And when he came to this small one-room house, and when I say small one-room house, it was only 12 foot by 12 foot. He came to the door. He didn't knock, but he opened the door very quietly, and he tiptoed in. I looked at Brother Evans and said we should walk in the same way, and that's the way we walked in. And right away, we saw why he was walking in quietly. Nobody lived in this house. This is a house that was specific for gypsies to assemble to pray. And when we entered, there were 10 or 12 gypsies on their knees in a circle, and they were praying. They didn't know we had entered the room. One gypsy man was praying out loud. I want you to see the sovereignty of God in this. Gypsies are bilingual all over the world. They speak the language of the host nation, the indigenous language, like I would speak English, but also our native tongue, the Roma language. And had this man prayed out loud in Romanian, I never would have understood the word of his prayer. But the Sovereign Father had him pray in the gypsy language. And this was his prayer. God, send us someone. Send us someone to tell us the truth of the gospel, for we are very confused. Now, to understand that prayer, the year is 1995. Communism had fallen six years prior to that. And in those six years, every cult and his brother was coming from the West, confusing these primitive people, telling them that if they ate pork, they couldn't go to heaven. That would be a problem on your men's retreat. <laughs> telling them that if they didn't speak in tongues, they couldn't go to heaven. And telling them that if they didn't worship on Saturday, they couldn't go to heaven. His prayer was genuine. He said, Amen. He stood up. He opened his eyes. Brother Evans and I standing right in front of him. I said to him boldly, in the gypsy language, I'm fourth generation away from Eastern Europe, separated by 5,000 miles in a little bottle of water called the Atlantic Ocean, and yet my language was preserved. And I believe it was preserved for that specific moment. I said to him boldly, we are the answer to that prayer. How would you like to get your prayers answered that fast? <laughs> and I presented the gospel to him. Him and several in that room got there and on their knees and prayed and received the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. 
He was a professional musician by trade and had his accordion by his side, and he would play Christian songs before they prayed. Gypsies are very emotional people. They laugh hard, they cry hard, they fight hard, and they celebrate hard. And he grabbed his accordion. We went out on the dirt streets of Thinker, Romania. There he began to play. Gypsies were coming out, out, of, the, like out of the woodwork. and they th I think they thought it was a party. And there, once again, on the dirt roads of Thinker, Romania, I preached the gospel. Several were saved. We had our baptism in August of that year. And the nucleus of the Man of Baptist Church of Thinker, Romania, had been established. The man that I heard pray is a man by the name of Gitsa Feketa. He is now the national pastor of five of our churches in Eastern Europe, and I was just with him about a month ago. There needs to be a preacher. There needs to be a man who has the call of God upon his life. Isaiah says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, Here am I, send me. God was looking for a volunteer. He knew that Isaiah was the one. There needs to be a preacher and that preacher needs to be sent. Romans chapter 10 verse 14 and 15 says, How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in whom if they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? That's what your mission's emphasis was about. The making sure to get, to get the missionaries who paraded this platform to send them to where they need to go to represent the gospel and to represent you to where God has called you to go in spreading the gospel around the world. The last phrase of Romans chapter 10 verse 15 says, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Uh, as an assistant pastor of a small independent Baptist church in southwest Ohio, my pastor was six foot seven inches tall. I literally looked up to him. <laughs> he wore a size 13 and a half triple E shoe. And being the faithful assistant that I was when he would go behind the platform to prepare to baptize, I would follow him. He would sit down on a chair and I would untie those 13 and a half triple E shoes. I'd pull off his socks and see those 13 and a half triple E feet. And you know what would go through my mind? Romans chapter 10, verse 15. How beautiful are the feet. There needs to be a preacher. That's the first component. That's the first ingredient in the formula of getting to verse 8. We can't get to verse 8 unless there's a preacher. At the time of the Titanic disaster, a preacher by the name of John Harper was on board. He was a 39-year-old widower with his sister and his six-year-old daughter, Annie. He got his sister and his daughter on a lifeboat, but John Harper stayed in the cold Atlantic waters, floating on whatever he could float on, preaching the gospel. One survivor says this. He says, I am a survivor of the Titanic. I was one of only six people out of 1,517 to be pulled from the icy waters on that dreadful night. Like hundreds around me, I found myself struggling in the cold, dark waters of the North Atlantic. The wail of the perishing was ringing in my ears when there floated by me a man who called out to me and Sir, it said, Sir, is your soul saved? As he continued to float, preaching the gospel everywhere he went. Then I heard him call out to others as he and everyone around me sank beneath the waters and drowned. And here's what this survivor says. There alone in the night with two miles of water under me, I cried to Christ to, Christ to save me. I am John Harper's last convert. There needs to be a preacher. We can't get to verse 8 
unless we have a preacher. I heard Dr. Charles Keene say, and I'm sure preacher knows Dr. Charles Keene. As far I was just in a conference, as a matter of fact, with him in, uh, in Georgia. And I heard Dr. Charles Keene say this from a platform. Not every man is called to preach, but every man should wrestle with the possibility. Did you hear that? Not every man is called to preach, but every man should wrestle with the possibility. That means as men and young men, we should be on our knees before the Lord wrestling with the possibility. Number one, there needs to be a preacher. But I want you to see the second component in our formula to get to verse 8. And there was great joy in that city. Verse 5 says, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. The second component is there needs to be a proclamation of Christ. You say, well, isn't, what else is a preacher going to preach but Jesus? Oh, really? <laughs> I hear him all the time. They preach everything but Jesus. Matter of fact, there's one preacher comes on TV. His haircut must be $200. His dental work must be $20,000. His suit's got to be two grand. And you know what? He tells me I'm good. And I have a real problem with that because I have to look at this mug in the mirror every morning. I also heard him say in an interview that there's many ways to get to heaven. You don't have to go through Jesus. Not all of them preach Christ. You say, preacher, who is the, who's the preacher you're talking about? Well, I'm not going to tell you his name, but his initials are Joel Osteen. <laughs> they all don't preach Christ. We need to preach Jesus. He said, if he be lifted up, he'll draw all men unto himself. Preacher, what a cushy job we have. We get to stand up here and talk about Jesus. And he does the drawing. We need to preach him virgin born. We need to preach him with a sinless life. We need to preach him performing miracles, making the blind see, the deaf hear, the mute speak, raising the dead to life. We need to preach him crucified, buried, and we need to preach him coming again. It better be Jesus in our message. We need to preach Christ, preach the full gospel. That's the full gospel. It is the message of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And watch now, look at verse 5 again. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. Jesus better be the center of our message. So number one, we need a preacher. Number two, we need a proclamation of Christ. But I want you to look at verse six, and I call verse six the missing link. Watch what it says. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Number one, we need a preacher. Number two, we need a proclamation, but watch now. Number three, we need a people to unite with the man and the message. Your faith promise, aren't you, preacher? I heard you talk about it. You took up the cards. I preach faith promise conferences. Many times the church will have a goal, an amount of money that they're trying to reach to be able to establish a budget to take on all the missionaries who've been through the church that year and the ones who were in a conference or in missions emphasis month. And when I preach a missions conference, I don't pray about the amount of money. You know what I pray about? That 100% of the membership of that church will be involved in the faith promise. God blesses unity. Matter of fact, he hates discord. He hates disunity. These six things as the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him, those that sow discord amongst the, bre amongst the brethren. That everyone should fill out a card with some amount, and the amount is irrelevant. It's the fact that you're in. 
that you're involved because God needs people to unite with the preacher and to unite with the proclamation of Christ. There needs to be a people. And in our story, the people united because the preacher preached the right message. They united because he preached truth. They united because he preached God's word. They united because he preached Christ and he preached it with power. They united because his life matched his message. They united because they witnessed the power of God and they got saved and there was great joy in that city. We have three components into our formula that we need in order to get great joy in the city. These need to be put into the equation. There needs to be a preacher. There needs to be a proclamation of Christ and there needs to be a people. But you cannot get to verse eight until you take care of verse seven. Everybody looks down at their Bible whenever I say that. You see, there's something that needs to be taken out of the equation. Not just because it's numerical, not just because seven comes before eight. By the design of God, seven comes before eight because seven needs to be taken out of the equation so that you can get to verse eight. And what does it say? Look with me, please. For unclean spirits crying with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed, possessed with them, and many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed, and there was great joy in that city. You, you want the, the, the verse to back up the point, it would come from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, verse 4 and 5, which says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, to the pulling down of strongholds casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Watch now. There needs to be a preacher. There needs to be a proclamation of Christ. There needs to be a people who unite with the man and the message. Watch, church. And together, when they unite, they become a power. They become an entity that the strongholds of Satan cannot stand. Watch now. And together, they pull down the strongholds of Satan. And when the strongholds of Satan are pulled down, you know what there is? Great joy in the city. You say, well, Brother Stevens, you, you work with gypsy people. It's obvious, you know. There's some demonic involvement there. But here in America, we don't have problems with demons. Really? You know what we do in America? We camouflage it. We paint it over. Oh, yes, it's true. I preached in Vidin, Bulgaria, on the streets of Vidin. We took our team. Pastor Feketa was with us, his musicians, some other pastors. And we, we were all on one stride side of the street. And all the gypsy people, 80,000 gypsies in Vidin, Bulgaria. Now, they weren't all there for the meeting, but we had a big crowd. And there I preached the gospel message. And as I was giving the invitation, a young woman, probably in her mid-20s, directly in front of me, was coming forward. She was answering the invitation to be saved. She got in the middle of the road, and I watched her. It was clear as could be. Her eyes rolled back into her head. She fell to the, her ground, to the ground with her hands to the side, just rolling on the ground. Our national pastor, Pastor Feketa, went out to deal with her. He said when he got there, a masculine voice was coming out from within her. And as much as a woman tries to talk like a man, she still sounds like a woman. We began to pray. Brother Feketa later on said that she came to her senses. He presented the gospel to her. She got saved. She jumped up, threw her hands up in the air and said, I'm finally free. I'm finally free. She was a demon-possessed woman in that town. I preached in Timisoara, Romania at a dear friend of mine by the name of Pete Heise who resigned his church to establish church, resigned his church in America to go to Europe to establish churches amongst the gypsy people. It was a small congregation. 
But in the back, about the last row, there was a woman all dressed in black. And I thought she was there. She was in mourning, I thought. As I was preaching, I watched her grab the chair in front of her, and she began to rock the chair back and forth. At the invitation, she came forward. Brother Heisey went to deal with her. Later, he told me she was just shivering and shaking all over. He presented the gospel to her. She got saved. It was known in that community that she was the local witch. That's why she was dressed in black. Her name was Maria Bogdan. It was a week of meetings. Maria Bogdan was the first person at the door every night of that meeting. She got baptized and became a productive member of the church. And now Maria Bogdan is in heaven. When there's a preacher with a proclamation of Christ and the people unite, watch now, we become a power, an entity that the demonic world just can't take. Oh, how God blesses his design of ministry when the formula's in place, when all the components of the prescription, when all that needs to be put in and Satan needs to be taken out of the equation. Now, don't anyone doubt my patriotism. I love this country. It doesn't get any better than the U.S. of A. And I've been around the block a couple times, 24 different countries. In all its imperfection, it doesn't get any better than America. But you know what we've done in America? We haven't taken Satan out of the equation. Fill in the blank. We put Satan into the equation. I'm tired when there's a school shooting someplace in our country and someone gets on television with a microphone in front of their face and says, where's God? Well, my response is, you kicked him out of the schools a long time ago. What do you expect? We need to take Satan out of the equation. Why? What's our goal? Verse 8 is our goal. To great, get great joy to the peoples of the world, to get great joy in our communities, get great joy to the neighbor who lives next to us where we buy our groceries and pump our gas. There needs to be a preacher with a proclamation of Christ. And there needs to be a people who unite with the man and the message. Watch now, so they can pull down the strongholds of Satan. Here's what we underestimate, the authority that God has given to the local church. We underestimate that. Didn't Jesus say, what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven? What you set free on earth will be set free in heaven. Huh? Didn't he tell us that we need to spoil the strong man's house? Huh? Now, who's the strong man? None other than Satan. And we spoil the strong man's house. Why? To spoil his goods. Now, I told you that I was a con man in a traveling carnival. And one thing about being a con man in a traveling carnival, you don't forget how to steal. I still know how to steal. And I'm going to tell you something, I'm still stealing. And you know what I'm stealing? Souls out of the hand of the enemy. You say, preacher, who do you go to? The hostage taker? No, I don't go to the hostage taker. I go to the hostage. And what do I tell them? If the son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And we're seeing our people, the Roma people all over the world, being set free. There needs to be a preacher. There needs to be a proclamation of Christ. There needs to be a people. And together, united, they pull down the strongholds of Satan. I saw a bookmarker that said this. Live your life in such a way that when you get up in the morning and your feet hits the ground, Satan shudders and says, oh no, he's awake. <laughs> With the God preacher that would describe my life. Here's the question, church. Are you a threat to the devil? We're to rattle the devil's cage. He said, preacher, man, what are you asking us to do? Don't worry, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Mm 
Hmm? We're supposed to be a threat to the devil. Here's, let me ask you this, Christian. Does the demonic world know your name? Because if he knows your name, you're a threat to the devil. Acts chapter 19. I'm going to be brief and I'm going to be over. Acts chapter 19. The sons of Sceva decide they're going to cast out demons. You all know that story? Hmm? And so the sons of Sceva go to the demonic world and they say this. In the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, we cast you out. They didn't have the authority to do it. And the Bible says that the demons leaped on them. But watch with the demonic. Let's get into the mind of the demonic world. Let's see what they think. And here's what they said to the sons of Sceva. Watch now. Jesus, we know. Well, they know Jesus. He created them. Hello. He didn't create them fallen, but he created all the angels, right? So Jesus, we know. Now watch the demonic world. Jesus, we know. Get ready. Paul, we know. But who are you? They didn't know the sons of Sceva by name. But they sure didn't know Jesus. That's how they watch now. They knew Paul. And the last time I checked, Paul has made of the same stuff we're made out of. Hello? What was the demonic world saying? What were they saying? That Jesus and Paul were both a threat to them. Are we a threat to the devil? Does the demonic world know your name? Now, I've taken upon myself to work with my people by the call of God. I love my call. I wouldn't trade it in for anything. But it's a battle. Keeps you on your knees. Keeps you praying. Keeps you fasting. Many times you'll pass out your prayer cards at a meeting and you'll say, pray for me, pray for me. And you wonder to yourself as a church member, I guess the, the missionaries want a lot of people to pray for them. Nah, we want the right people to pray for us. Those who know how to touch the hem of the garment of the Lord Jesus. Pray for your missionaries. Pray for this gypsy preacher and that gypsy preacher right there working with our precious Roma people. There needs to be a preacher. There needs to be a proclamation of Christ. There needs to be a people who unite with the man and the message and together they pull down the strongholds of Satan. Heads about and eyes are closed and no one looking around. With every head bowed, every eye closed. You hear tonight, there was a day that you trusted Christ as your personal Savior and you'd raise your hand as a testimony. My Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. By the raising of your hand, you're saying so. I've trusted Jesus. I'm a believer. Hands up all over the auditorium. Yes, God bless you. Yes, God bless you. Hold up just for a moment while I scan the auditorium, please. Yes, thank you. You may put your hands down. A lot of hands raised, but there were some hands that weren't raised. I don't know why. My Bible says that God says, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looketh upon the heart. I can't see what's in your heart. Matter of fact, I look around, everybody looks okay to me. But what does God see? Is Jesus in your heart? He only gets there when you invite him. Our Savior is a gentleman. He doesn't come where he's not invited. Maybe tonight you'd say, preacher, I need Jesus. I need to be saved. I don't have that joy that you preached about because I don't know the personal joy and I want to meet him. And you'd put your hand up and say, preacher, that's me. I need Jesus. I need to be saved. Would you put your hand up that I could pray for you? I need Jesus. I need to be saved. Yes, God bless you. Yes, God bless you. You may put your hands down. How about a Christian? For those of you who know your Bible, for those of you who know the Lord, 
You know what the challenge is? To be a threat to the devil. To be a threat to the devil with your faith promise. To be a threat to the devil with your soul winning endeavors. To be a threat to the devil in your Sunday school class. Whatever ministry God has called you to. To be a threat to the devil in reaching your neighbors with the gospel. Your family, your friends. And who'd raise their hand and say, preacher, tonight I want to be a threat to the devil. Would you put your hand up all over the auditorium? Yes, God bless you. I'm going to rattle the devil's cage. He's going to know my name. Yes, God bless you. You may put your hands down. With every head bowed, every eye closed. Not every man is called to preach. But every man should wrestle with the possibility. What man here tonight, what young man, raise his hand and say, Preacher, I'm going to be honest with God. I'm going to be honest with you. And I'm going to pray. I'm going to wrestle with the Lord about a call. Would you put your hand up that I could pray for you? Is there someone? Yes, God bless you. Yes, many hands raised. Yes, praise the Lord. Yes, praise the Lord. I'm not going to ask a show of hands for this last question. You're a Christian and you lost your joy. It shouldn't be that way. You lose your joy, you lose your strength because Nehemiah says the joy of the Lord is my strength. Maybe you just need to come to an old-fashioned altar and kneel down and tell Jesus you want your joy back. You want your vigor, your vitality for serving him with the best that you have. Let's stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed. Father in heaven, your word makes things so clear. If anything, Father, we preachers muddy up the water. But it's all right there, Father. It's a natural outline that you gave to us. It just needed a voice. If we're going to give great joy to the cities of the world, Father, you showed us in these passages of Scripture we need preachers who proclaim Christ, people who unite with the man and the message, and together, Father, we pull down the strongholds of Satan so there can be joy in the city. Father, there were some hands raised of those who said they don't know you as personal Savior. I pray, Lord, that this will be their time. Your word says now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. This is their now. They heard the gospel, Lord. It's their now. I pray that they would come to these altars where someone would show them how they can open their heart and meet the person of joy. Father, there are many hands raised that these precious folks want to be a threat to the devil. And we know we can't do that without you, but you have armed us and you have equipped us. You told us we're in a war. You said no man entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who's called him to be a soldier. We're all soldiers. It's not for the missionary alone. There's a war raging and souls lay in the balance. And so, Father, I pray that those who said they want to be a threat to the devil would come to these altars and just by coming here, Father, they'll be rattling the devil's cage. They'll be known by name to the demonic world. And Father, there were some hands raised of those who are presenting themselves for, the, for a potential call, that if you're calling, they're making themselves available. I pray, Father, that they would come to these altars and solidify their decisions. And then, Father, there are those of us in this room, I'm sure, who have lost their joy. I pray 
that they would come to these altars and find that joy again. Bless now this invitation, Father, for your glory and for your honor. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. As the instruments begin, if you need to come, would you come right now? The altars are open. Would you come?